Would you pray with me now? Father, thank you once again for your word. I pray that we would have humble and open hearts before you now as we look into your word. May you teach us and transform us to become more and more like Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are now in week two of a nine-week sermon series where we're looking at the book of 1 John. 1 John is a small book in the New Testament near the end. It's only about five chapters long, and as I said last week, it only takes about 20 minutes or so to read. So I encourage you to be reading it and rereading it over the next nine weeks. And here's what I've started to do. I'm, I'm reading it through on Saturdays so that it's fresh in my mind on Sunday morning. So maybe you can join me with that. We have seven more weeks after this week, and that's at least seven times that you can read this book. And, and sometimes I'd encourage you to, to read, it, read through it slowly. Spend time digging into the, the individual verses. But then other times you might want to just read it through like it's a letter and get the broad picture of it. But it's this wonderful book. Last week we did the introduction to it and we talked about walking in the light. That was one of the themes of chapter 1. The idea that God is light, that he calls us into a relationship with himself, and if we're to walk with him, it means that we're to walk in the light. It means that we're to reject the sinful nature and walk with God, doing what's right, maintaining our fellowship with him, and it's all because of what Christ did, that his blood is what purifies us, and, and it's God who draws us to Jesus that we might continue to walk with him. Now the question then is, how do we walk in the light? What does that look like in our daily lives? Well, the rest of the book of 1 John gives us answers to that question. And as I mentioned last week, there are many tests in the book of 1 John. One of the key words in the book of 1 John is the little word, if. As you're reading it, notice how many times that little word shows up there. This is how we know we're walking with God. If, and then John has a whole bunch of things that he says. And, And I've been calling them tests. Tests for us to look at and see how we're doing in our faith. And the passage that we're looking at today has two of these, and I'm calling them two heart checks today. Because we're going to see how we're doing in two specific areas, two pretty big areas of our walk with God today, as we look at 1 John 2, verses 3 to 11. Right away in verse 3 it says, We know that we have come to know him if... And that's where he launches into the first of those two heart checks. So the stage is is set right away. There are these two tests, to see how we're doing at loving God. And I'll tell you what they are right away. The first test is about obeying God. How much do we love God? Well, we test ourselves by our obedience to his commands. And then the second test has to do with our love for one another. If we love God, we should be loving one another as well. How do you do with rules and commands? Do you love them? There are some people that do. In fact, I'm, I'm sometimes like this. If there's a rule, I just usually want to follow it. If somebody wants me to do it this way, good. Okay, I'll do it that way. Other people always want to ask why, and, and that can be good sometimes, although sometimes that can get a little overbearing as well. And then there's other people that just don't like rules. That if there's a rule, they want to do exactly the opposite of what it says. But how, how does your heart respond to God's rules, God's commands? It's one of the things we're going to talk about today. And then the other thing we're going to talk about today is how do you do it loving other people? Do people annoy you? Get on your nerves? How do you respond when people grate against you? It's going to be one of the tests that we're going to look at today. Now, it can be really hard to obey God, and it can be really hard to love people. And I want you to be honest with yourself, because 
these, these tests, they're really kind of self-tests. Eventually God's going to, you know, he's the judge at the end of the day. But these tests are for us to look at our faith and to see how we're doing here. So I'm not going to try to point my finger in again. Like I said last week, if, if you feel conviction from the Holy Spirit any time in the book of 1 John or during this sermon series, don't blame me. It's the Holy Spirit who's doing that work in you. But it's really difficult to, to obey God and to love people at all times. And that's what we want to investigate today, how our hearts are doing by looking at these two areas. And here's my big idea. I'll start with it right away today. If we know God, it should lead to a changed life. If we know God, it should lead to a changed life. And praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord that we shouldn't just simply expect to be the same person 20 years from now that we are now. That God actually wants to strengthen us, transform us, make us more like Christ. That we shouldn't have to just expect to struggle and wallow in the same sins that we always have. That God wants to transform us. That's one of the marks, actually, of a true Christian, is somebody who is continually being changed more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And knowing God isn't just something that happens in our minds. It's not just intellectual ascent. And knowing God isn't just something that happens in private. It happens in our relationships with other people as well. So if we claim that we know God, it should evidence itself in the way that we live our lives. Our hearts should be transformed. And one of the ways that we can check how our hearts are doing is to apply these tests that the book of 1 John has for us. And we're going to look at two of them today. And the first of these heart checks has to do with obedience to God's commands. Obedience to God's commands. There is a link between walking in the light and obeying God. Remember, last week we talked about walking in the light. Well, as we're walking with God in the light, He commands us certain things. So this first test has to do with our obedience to those commands. Because if we know God, if we say that we walk with Him, it should show. I want to read for you now 1 John chapter 2, verses 3-6. through 6. And this is in your bulletins, or you can follow along in your Bibles as well. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Now perhaps a question pops up in your mind right away. Isn't it legalism to talk about following rules? I, I bet there's some of you that are in, there, there's in here that are thinking that. We're talking about rules. Doesn't Jesus kind of rail against the people who just talked about rules? Well, you're absolutely right. Jesus did rail against a particular group of people, especially the, the Pharisees in the New Testament. The people who, remember, he said to them, these people honor me with their lips. He said they're, they're doing the things outwardly right. They honor me with their lips. But what did he say? Their hearts are far from me. So there were these people that were making sure that they were not only following the rules that they saw in the Bible, but also all those extra rules that they made up. They were following those, but their hearts were far from God. And we have to be really careful with this, because legalism is a really dangerous thing that can take over our lives. But, and please hear me clearly on this, Jesus didn't rail against them for following rules. He railed against them because their hearts were far from him. So rules are actually good things. And it's, it's not difficult to understand that. Think about a classroom with no rules. 
I've got an almost kindergartner, and can you imagine a kindergarten class where there are no rules? Imagine how much glue would be eaten in that class. I mean, it's just <coughs> rules are good, but we have to have a right understanding about where they come from. We don't earn God's favor by following rules. We don't earn our way into a relationship with God by following rules. We, we are given a relationship with God through faith. As we understand what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross, as we give our lives to him, as we confess that we're sinners, we place our faith in him, we give our lives to him, we enter into a relationship with God by faith. Then what happens as we continue in that relationship is that we should look to God and seek to follow him with our hearts and with our actions. Now let me use an illustration to help you with this, uh, this idea about entering into a relationship with God and then continuing in it. I want to use an illustration of t-ball because again, I, I have a t-baller this summer. Five-year-old guy and let me assure you something. There are no tests to get into T-ball. There are no qualifications that you have to meet to get into T-ball. Actually, you have to be five years old and pay the $30 or whatever. Other than that, they're not testing how good you are at fielding or hitting. If you're five years old and you sign up, you get into T-ball. And we don't expect T-ballers to get it all right away, right? And one of the funny reminders of that for me this summer was, uh, I think it was last week's game, a, a kid on Josiah's team, they're all in the field. And you know how it goes in T-ball, the, the person hits the ball, and then all the fielders run after the ball. <laughs> and there was one kid on Josiah's team where he would, he would run for the ball, and he would grab it with his bare hand and, and lift it up in the air and say, I got it, <laughs> as the runner runs safely to first base. <laughs> and you know, it's, it's kind of cute when a five-year-old does that. But if you fast forward 10 years, and this kid is now playing high school baseball, and the ground ball comes to him, and he picks it up in the air and says, I got it, he starts to say, haven't you listened to your coach? Haven't you figured out that when you get that ball, you're supposed to throw it to first base? You see, we expect that as they continue to grow along the way, that they would pick up on the rules and would live according to them. And so it is with us. We don't come to Jesus by getting everything right first. I, I had a, a, a mentor of mine one day, we were sharing the gospel with somebody, he said, it's, you know, you don't need to clean your teeth up before you go to the dentist. He can take care of that. Maybe you, you get the big pieces of gunk out of there, but, uh, you know, the dentist can clean your teeth. And so it is with Jesus. We just, we come to him as we are. There's that wonderful song, Just As You Are. And as we come to him then, he cleanses us. He purifies us. That's what it said in chapter 1. The blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. So the important part is coming to him first. But then, as we walk with God, we should obey his commands. And not just because, oh, fine, okay, God, you say, I don't want to do that, but I'll do it. No, that's not how. We do it out of gratitude for God. Because we trust that he knows what's best for us. And pretty startling, but in verse 4 it says that if we claim to know God, but we don't do what he commands, it actually says that we're liars. Now that might sound pretty harsh. That word liar is actually going to come up again in this book. One of the main arguments that non-Christians have against Christianity is what? Hypocritical Christians, right? Oh, those Christians, they think they're better than we are, but you know what? I see them doing the exact same things that I do. And, and if you think about it, if, if that's their basis, why would they want to come to church? Why would they want a relationship with God if it doesn't change their lives? 
So there is a sense in this that, that they're right, that we should not be living the same lives that we've always lived. If we claim to know God, we should be following his commands. Now, yes, we're all going to mess up in this, and I'm not suggesting that we all need to be perfect here because that's the wrong idea as well. That we don't want to put a sign outside of our doors that says, if you're not perfect, don't come in. Because we just learned in, in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, that if we do sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So there is forgiveness if we mess up. But we should be obeying what God commands. So again, it's that kind of... John speaks about sin in very interesting ways, and we'll get more into that as we continue to study this book. But overall, may we be people who live like the Bible says that we should live. That should be our goal. And the key word in this first heart check here is the word obey. Obey God's commands. It means to keep God's commands. Theologian Gary Burge says that this means a zealous desire to adhere to God's will. We should have that. We should really care about doing what God wants us to do. Unless you think that this is just an isolated verse in the Bible, like, oh, really, we're supposed to obey God's commands? Five times, at least five times, just in John chapter 14 and 15, Jesus links obedience to God with love for God. Let me read a couple of them. He says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. And then he also says, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. So we have it five times in the Gospel of John. We have it right here in 1 John. Later on in 1 John, it says, this is love for God to obey his commands. Now again, at first glance, we might think that this is legalism. But it's not. The idea is that we should love God so much that we look to him and say, God, what would you have me do? I'm, I'm eager, God, to do what you want me to do. Think about it this way. Does God have the right to command you? Does he have that right? Well, I hope you know that the answer is most assuredly yes to that question. God is the Lord of lords. He's the King of kings. And as we come to him, to come to him means to submit to him and to say, you're my king now. And I've said it this way before, that we came into this world assuming that we were the king or the queen of our own lives, but to come to Christ means that we recognize that God is king and he has every right to command us in any way that he sees fit. So what we're talking about here is lordship, something I emphasize a lot. To know Jesus is to know him as Lord, and we can't honestly claim to follow him unless we are willing to submit to him at every turn. That's why obedience to God's commands is so important. That's why I want you to check where your heart is at. Are you not even just willing, but are you eager to follow the commands of God? Maybe you heard this saying, to know God is to love him. I think that's a great saying. The more that we learn about God, we'll, we'll just see how perfect he is and we'll love him more. And then you, So that's the first part. To know God is to love him and then to love him is to obey him. David Jackman, another theologian, said, those who truly walk with God love to obey him because in that way they grow a little more like him each day. That's our goal here as followers of Christ is become more and more like Jesus. And we do that in part as we obey 
and submit. And it goes on to say in verse 5, But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. And what a wonderful verse that is. Again, you know, I, I don't want to give the impression that First John is a negative book. I don't want to just give the impression that he's, you know, he's the harsh teacher giving you a test and he's got his red pen out ready to see how bad you do. Because here, we see that God wants his love to be made complete in us. Translators argue about this. That in, in the Greek, it just says love for God. Or excuse me, it says love of God. And you can look at love of God as either the love that God has for us or the love that we have for God. And, and translators argue about which one it should be. But I saw one interpretation of this passage is actually talking about both of those kinds of love. And I think I agree with that. It's the idea that, that God loves us and he wants us to receive that love and to return that love back to him and other people. So as we love God, as we obey his commands, as we walk in the light, we receive his love and we express that love to others. And in doing that, his love is made complete in us. So we choose to love God by obeying him. When we're confronted with a command, and we all know those times when our sinful nature says inside of us, oh, I don't like that one. When we're confronted with a command, our choice reveals how much we love God. Will we obey him or will we not? And by the way, the kind of love that we're talking about here isn't just the feeling of love. It isn't just the love that you have when you say, oh, that sounds really wonderful. I'd love to do that. That's kind of the Hollywood type of love. That's kind of the love that two 20-year-olds have for each other on on their second date. But we're not talking about that kind of love here. We're talking more about the kind of love that a 50-year-old has for her husband in the seventh year of caring for him in his cancer. The, the sort of commitment that says, okay, I'm going to look out for your best interest. And if you're still wondering how we're supposed to show this kind of obedient love, verse 6 tells us, it says, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Jesus perfectly obeyed the Father. One of the wonderful scenes we see in the Bible is Jesus in Gethsemane. The night before he was crucified, he knew that he was heading towards the cross. He knew that it was his Father's will. But yet he prayed in that garden. He said, God, if there's any way that you could make it so that I don't have to go to the cross, would you please show me that way now? But then what did he say right after that? Not my will, but your will be done. And by his actions, what did Jesus show us? that he was obedient to the Father and to his will. That's our example of obedience. Not my will, but your will be done. By the way, I picked verse 6 here as my theme verse for the book of 1 John. I I gave you all that homework assignment. Read through the book of John. Find what you think is a verse that summarizes the whole book. And this is mine. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Although I will say I was reading last night and I, I looked at 4.16, the second half of it. It says, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. I think that's a pretty good one too. Um, and I'm sure there's other right answers to that question. But, but in, the, in that verse, chapter 2, verse 6, we see that Jesus is central and we see that we are to walk with God. And those to me are two key themes. We look to Jesus. In our lives here, we... we 
are to be focused on him and we're to walk in the light. And if we claim to walk with Jesus, our lives should increasingly look like his. And Jesus, you know, we're, we're talking about obedience, we're talking about walking in the light. Jesus said a very similar thing in the Sermon on the Mount. He showed us the link between knowing God and obeying him. Remember the story of the two builders, the wise and the foolish builders. The one built on rocks, the other built on sand, and his house was washed away. But the wise builder, what did it say about him? It said that he heard the words of God and did them. The only difference between the wise and the foolish person was the doing or the not doing. They both heard the words of God. It was the wise man who did the words of God. If we claim to know God, it should show. If we claim to know God, we should be obeying his commands. Now the application question then is a simple question. How do we do that? How do we obey the commands of God? Now, if I asked you that question before the sermon today, how do, we, how do we show love for God? You might have answered with, well, we can worship Him, or we can serve Him, or serve other people. And those are right answers. Those are beautiful answers. But we learn another very important answer today, that if we want to love God, we should obey Him. What does God command us to do? Lots of things. Again, you might, maybe some people have this impression of Christianity that, oh, the Old Testament, that was about, you know, all the commands and the laws. But in the New Testament, it's just about love. You know, walking on clouds and that sort of a thing. But the New Testament actually has a lot of commands. I've even heard it said that there's, there are more commands in the New Testament than there are laws in the Old Testament. Listen to a few of, I just picked a, a small sampling of some of the commands in the New Testament. Flee from idolatry. There's one. Another one. Don't worry. I've, I've said that that might be the hardest command in the New Testament to obey. Don't worry about anything. Another command. In your anger, do not sin. That's a tough one, right? Here's another one, and this one is, is tough because it's so all-encompassing. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Think about everything you did yesterday. Did you do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus? Another command. Flee from sexual immorality. That one's so tough because it wars against our sinful nature. Our sinful nature wants to pursue sexual immorality. God wants us to flee from it. Another command. Pursue righteousness. Or for you kids out there, there's a really difficult command for you in the Bible. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Did you hear that one, Josiah? Children, obey your... No, I shouldn't pick on Josiah for that one. <laughs> but do it in... No. Uh, there are lots of commands in the New Testament. Here's the hard part. We are to obey all of those commands at all times. How are we to do that? Well, again, let me say, first of all, there's grace for when we mess up, so praise the Lord that there's forgiveness in Christ. But the only hope that we have of honoring God by following his commands is if we're walking with him in the light, if we're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. We can only follow God rightly if we love him and if we walk with him. And there is no substitute then for a daily walk with God. You know, I think about all the commands, and I think about even as you, if you were to go home today and read two chapters of the Bible, I bet there would be several commands in there. 
And, and how is it that we are to remember all of them and walk rightly in all of them? We've got to be keeping close tabs with God. We've got to be constantly walking with Him in the light, listening to what He says, and then in the power of the Holy Spirit, trying to obey Him. Because <laughs> if we love God, we should follow His commands. And again, this isn't legalism. This isn't legalism. How do I know that? Because in the, in the new covenant that we live in with Christ, what does it say about laws? It doesn't say they're gone. It doesn't say don't worry about those anymore. It says that God's laws are written on our hearts. So there's an intimacy then that the, the following of God's commands is a, a sort of thing that happens in our hearts first and foremost, not just in our actions. And God's commands aren't burdensome. It says that in 1 John 5.3. In fact, His commands are good for us. They teach us how to live rightly with Him. So are you convinced that God is good? Are you convinced that when He says something to you, it's for your benefit? I'm convinced. So now, when push comes to shove and we're confronted with those commands of God, I hope that we see clearly and we obey. But again, this is a heart check. I'm not just asking you to look at your actions and try to clean up your actions. I'm asking you to look at what's going on in your heart, that willingness, or as I even said, that eagerness to obey God's commands. So that's our first heart check. And our second heart check has to do with loving each other. Because again, if we know God, it should lead to a changed life. And one of the changes that should happen in us is that we should be more loving to those around us. 1 John 2, verses 7 through 11 says, Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. Now, it's easy to love lovable people, right? Those people that every time you see them, they put a smile on your face. It's really easy to love them. What about those people that annoy you? Or that are constantly offending you? How do you do with those people? When I was about 23 years old, living in Wisconsin, I was a single man, and I uh, was looking for some roommates, and, and it just so happened that one of my friends was also looking for a roommate, and we ended up moving into the same place together, and uh, come to find out that this friend of mine has some kind of annoying habits. I, I won't get into all of them, but I'll say one of them, that he would leave tuna in the sink, like just, you know, wouldn't wash it out and go to work, and, and I'd come home and say, what smells? Oh, man. There were, there were other things, too. But I had a choice to make then. Am I going to let those things affect my friendship with this guy? Am I going to hold these things against him? Or am I going to choose to love him anyways? And I can't say that I did that perfectly, but I can say that that's what I was trying to do, at least some of the time. So that's our, our second heart check today. It has to do with love. How, how do you love the people around you? Now, you might look at verses 7 through 8 with a little bit of a quizzical look on your face. I kind of did that. What are these verses talking about? He says, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one. And then in verse 8 it says, yet I am writing you a new command. 
Well, just a couple quick things about those verses. One is that we'll talk more about them in chapter 3. I think chapter 3 explains those verses with a little bit more detail, so we'll get to that later. And then second thing I'll say is that it might help us to think about what Jesus said about the old commands and the new commands. Remember somebody asked him, what's the greatest commandment in the law? He said, well, there's two of them. And the second one of those, he said, was to love your neighbor as yourself. So he was looking at the old covenant, and he said, that's one of the most important commands, love your neighbor as yourself. I think that might be the old command here. But then Jesus also, the night before he was crucified, gave a new command. He said, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. So the new command is very similar to the old command. They're both about love, but the new part of the new command is that we have the perfect example in Jesus. He showed us how we're to love each other, and we are to love as he loved us. So I think that's what it's talking about there. And if I'm right about this, and I'm not 100% sure, I still have some more studying to do, but if I'm right, then John is making a transition from the first greatest commandment, which was love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, to the second greatest commandment, which is love your neighbor as yourself. So you see the two heart checks we're doing today have to do with the great commandment. Love God. How do we love God? Well, it says here, by obeying his commands. Love your neighbor as yourself. And that's the second heart check we're doing. Now in 1 John, he uses the word brother instead of neighbor, but I think he's just talking about the same thing, that we're to love those around us, and we're to love as Jesus loved. In verse 9, it's stated negatively. It says, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. He's still using that imagery of walking in the light versus walking in the darkness. And he says, if you're walking, or excuse me, if you hate your brother, you're not in the light. If you claim to be walking with God, but you're responding with hatred to those around you, you are not in the light. Have you ever noticed that sometimes we're the meanest to the people that are closest to us? That's, I think that's a really sad thing about our lives, but yet it's altogether too true for us. When we respond with that kind of hatred towards the people around us, what we're thinking is, boy, I can't believe what they did. But do you know what it says? If you're responding in hatred to the people around you, do you know what it says? It says the problem is in your heart and you are not walking in the light. Now that's a difficult heart check. That's one of those things where, again, I want to say, hey, it's not me saying this, it's the Holy Spirit who's saying this. But if you're claiming to walk with God, yet you hate the people around you, you're in the dark and something's wrong with your heart and needs to change. I've got a news flash for you. The people around you aren't going to stop being imperfect. You know, I, I laugh about this when I think about people who honk their horn. When somebody does something, makes a driving mistake and somebody honks their horn at them, it's like they think that they're going to solve the world's driving problems with one honk of the horn. But news flash, people are going to continue to be bad drivers and people are going to continue to annoy you and offend you. And the question is, how are you going to respond? With love or with hatred? And it doesn't have anything to do with them. It has to do with your heart. So how will you respond? Well, the right way to respond if we're walking in the light is to love them regardless of the way they treat us. And again, I'm not talking about the Hollywood kind of love here. I'm talking about the love that chooses to love even when you don't feel like it. What we're talking about here is a commitment to act as Jesus would act to the people around us. 
But then it says it positively in verse 10. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. So that's good news. That we can walk in the light, love our brothers. But then John gets back to the negative again. He kind of repeats what he said in verse 9 and in verse 11 he says, whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded. Do you, do you get what he's saying here? He's, it's about darkness. And if you're hating, you're in the darkness. One thing about this passage that I love, verses 3 to 11, it's not hard to understand. It's, it's so simple theologically to understand what's going on here. What's difficult is to live it out. And the truth of verses 9 to 11 is that we are to respond with love to people around us even when they annoy us, even when they offend us. And if you're not, the problem isn't with them, it's with your heart. So we have to check ourselves. Do we respond in love or hate? Which one is it for you? What would the people closest to you say? If I were to go... If I were to come up to you and say, who's the closest person to you in the world? And then I were to turn to them and say, how does he or she do at responding in love at all times? What would they say? Now, that's an uncomfortable question to think about because my guess is that every one of us in here struggles in this. It's sinful nature, therefore human nature, to respond in hate. But, the great news of First John is not only that we're saved, but that we're brought into this new relationship with Christ where we become more like him and the power of God is actually at work in our lives to help us to walk in the light and to love those around us. That's what we're called to as followers of Jesus. Why love? Because it's what we're created for. Think about love from eternity past to eternity future. Eternity past. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit has been existing in a love relationship for always. They loved each other. And when they created man and woman, it says that we were created in the image of God, and part of that means that we were created to love each other and to love God. Now, the fall was a bad deal because it came with consequence, it came with sin, and it means that our relationships with each other and with God are strained. And that, and that means that our love for each other and our love for God is strained. Yet we're saved out of that, rescued into that, rescued out of that into a newness of life where we can love each other and where the Apostle Paul says that love is the fulfillment of the law and then if you think about eternity future we will live perfectly in love relationships with each other and with God. We were created for love and as we live now in this little narrow slice of time in between eternity past and eternity future we are to live out that love. We're to show it to God and show it to other people. So how do we do that? Again, very simple application question. How do we love each other? I've got a few answers to that. First, serve. Serve each other. Look for ways to express love. Look to serve instead of waiting to be served. I've been looking for the perfect premarital counseling book. I don't know that I've found it yet, but I read one, and, and one thing really stood out in that. It was this idea of service that so often we sit around waiting to be served, but actually we find more joy as we, as we actively serve. So if you're feeling down, he said, do something nice for somebody. Do the dishes. Uh, figure out something nice to do for somebody else, and it might actually not only bring the other person joy, but it might bring you joy. Look to the interests of others. 
That's what Philippians calls us to do. Don't just look out for yourself. Think about what other people want and see if you can serve somebody in that way. Another way that we love is by forgiving. Forgiveness is a wonderful example of love. It's the kind of love that God shows us and it's the kind of love that we should be showing each other as we offend each other. Not holding grudges, because what good does a grudge do anyways? But forgive people when they offend you. And then finally, choose to respond in love. It's a choice you make. Nobody's going to make you respond in hatred. The devil can't make you do it. It's your choice. So respond in love. Train yourself to do that. God leads us into the love. The first fruit of the Spirit is love. That's what he wants for us. Let's follow God and let's choose to love others. Because if we know God, it should lead to a changed life. Here's my conclusion. These two heart checks show us how we're doing in our walk with God. They show us how we're doing in our walk with God. And I know that tests can feel like condemnation. We don't, we don't like tests, right? And we, don't, we especially don't like failing tests. So how should we view this passage? Should we view it as, again, God with his red pen out ready to show us how wrong we are? I don't think so, because the book of 1 John, as I said last week, and as it says in chapter 5, verse 13, is written so that we may know that we have eternal life. God wants us to see what's going on in our lives so that he can bring us into an even better place. And that's what's happening here. What should we do if we see that we're, we're failing one of these tests? What I want you to realize is that God in his mercy is showing you how you can walk in the light. Don't resist God. If he's pointing something out to you, listen to him. Figure out what he's saying to you. I was at a, uh, a worship service last night and the guy said, you know, I want you to think about one thing that you need to turn over to God. And I was like, you know what, that's probably something that I should spend more time thinking about than just when I'm sitting right here in this one minute. And, and I want you to think about these things. If, if God is putting something on your heart, as you read the book of First John on your own, or as you're sitting here, make sure that you're making a note of it and that you're spending the time that you need to with God to talk to him about what he's pointing out to you. And in humility, repent of whatever it is, whether it's lack of love or lack of obedience to God's commands. The fact that you're still here means that you have time to change. I haven't seen God strike any of you dead with a lightning bolt. Is that, did anybody else see that here? I didn't see that today. And what that means is that God's giving you time to repent if there's something that's going wrong in your heart. And that's his mercy to us. He doesn't want us to wallow in those sins. So if there's any area of darkness in your life, bring it into the light. Now, these are hard things that we're talking about. Obeying God's commands and loving others. But they're good for us to consider. So is there any command of God that you need to obey? Is there anything that you're, you're thinking about and saying, well, you know, I'm just not doing real great at that? Or is there any person that you're not loving? I want you to talk to God honestly about those things. Check your heart. And if the answer is yes to either of those questions, yes, I need to change, the solution isn't simply to try harder. The solution is to let God change your heart. Because remember, these are heart checks here. We're not just checking our works here. The works 
are simply meant to show us what's going on in our heart. That's why we're checking our actions here. But I encourage you to investigate your heart and ask God how you're doing in these areas. And then ask him to show you what needs to change. But first that change happens in your heart and then in your actions. And I'll say again my big idea. If we know God, it should lead to a changed life. But not just a changed life, also a changed heart. Would you pray with me? God, thank you that you lead us into newness of life. And Lord, I know that we talked about some heavy stuff here, but I also praise you because the point of this is that you want us to have a relationship with you where we walk in the light and have that, that joy of fellowship with you. So God, if there's anything that's hindering that in us, whether that's disobeying your commands or hating those around us, I pray that you would show that to us and that we would repent of that sin and that you would strengthen us to obey and to love. God, show us what's on our hearts. Help us to become more and more like Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.